Time Magazine named its first person of the year in 1927. The first person of the year was a man named Charles Lindbergh. I'm sure we're all familiar with the name. Maybe you didn't know about that date, but that year he had flown nonstop from New York to Paris, a solo flight. The, the, the publisher of the magazine at that time is a guy named P.I. Prentice. So a little bit later, he was looking back on when they started that person of the year. And he said this about it, and I quote, the choice is in no way an accolade nor a Nobel Prize for doing good, nor is it a moral judgment. The two criteria are always these, who had the biggest rise in fame and who did the most to change the news for better or for worse, which explains some of the persons of the year, doesn't it, over the years? Um, Jesus never made times person of the year, perhaps for some of these reasons. But then something in 1999 happened that I find fascinating. So, you know, for, 70, for 72 years, they name a person of the year. But as they approach the year 2000 to mark 2000 years of time, who, who would they put on the cover to reflect the greatest influence in that time? Surprise, but perhaps not a surprise. They chose Jesus Christ the one who marks the beginning of you know, our modern day calendar over those 2000 years. They asked um, Reynolds Price to write an article on the influence of Jesus over the millennia. And his, his two first opening paragraph say everything. I've got it on the screen. You can follow along as I read. The memory of any stretch of years eventually resolves to a list of names. And one of the useful ways of recalling the past two millenniums is by listing the people who acquired great power, Muhammad, Catherine the Great, Marx, Gandhi, Hitler, and others. It would require much exotic calculation, however, to deny that the single most powerful figure, not merely in these two millenniums, but in all human history, has been Jesus of Nazareth. A serious argument can be made that no one else's life has proved remotely as powerful and enduring as that of Jesus, end quote. And I think for most of us in the room, those online, you know, we read that and we go, yeah. But while the statement rings true, yes, here's the question to us does it ring out of your life and mine? So stay with me on this thought. If Jesus is the most influential human being there's ever been, and he's alive, and he lives in you, and he lives in me, then would people say of you, you're one of the most influential human beings I've ever been around. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, be, I'm, I'm being serious when I ask it, not being, you know, silly. Are you with me? Yes. He's alive. And he lives in us. Some of you may say, well, 
yeah, but you know, that kind of influence, I mean, that's for, I don't know, you know, super mega spiritual people. I mean, that's for you, Lloyd, Rob, teaching pastors, or that's for missionaries. No, 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 no. To the degree that, that you think that's for others, but not you who, who put your faith in Christ is the degree to which you or I, honestly, we would be forfeiting the life God intends for us. I'm not talking about you know, cover a magazine. I'm talking about genuine, profound influence. If there's anything we believe as a church, and well, you're gonna hear it as we talk about these three messages around mission and vision, which is four messages. It's this, that for any person who places their trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus indwells you in the person of the Holy Spirit and Jesus commissions you to live his life. Nothing less than that. And then he lives in us, you know, himself and the person of the spirit to produce that life. We're not left alone to do it. I'm not talking about willpower. I'm talking about the spirit of God transforming our hearts. That's why Rob last week, when he spoke of mission and vision, he used, he used words along these lines. He asked, he said, what if the word became flesh in our community? Remember this, i.e., you and I, there's a sense to which Christ in us, you know, is the word made flesh. Now, I'm careful how I say that, but you understand what I'm saying. What if the word became flesh in our community? What if each of us were captured by the reality that God has put each one of us individually and collectively in this place at this time that Jesus would be seen, Jesus would be bumped into, Jesus would be heard by other people because he lives in us and he lives through us. And we began our study in this gospel of John back in August because more clearly, perhaps than the other gospel accounts, this particular gospel just supports, sheds light on and informs our mission as a church. I mean, what do we do? I'm gonna put it on the screen. Robin packed it last week. I mean, we're about becoming a community of people who follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same. This is, this is why we exist. And my goal this morning, okay, in this, in this particular message is out of the gospel of John, I wanna, I wanna help you take your first step in taking that mission, which you could look at it all day long and go, I get it, I understand it, yeah. I wanna help you take it from a concept that you understand to literally a lifestyle that you and I live individually and corporately. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just lay some tracks this morning that they'll go, okay, this helps me understand how to do that. Following Jesus, helping others follow Jesus is a life so full, y'all, it's so fulfilling that Jesus says, it is the abundant life. See, the abundant life is when Jesus, we'll get to it, when Jesus says, you know, I came that you might have life and life have it abundant. It's not like, I mean, you're gonna have a lot of stuff. You're gonna get to do a lot of things. No, 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 no. What he's saying is following me, and then helping others follow me. There, there's no other life worth living. That's what following Jesus means. In the life of Jesus, there are four practices that he does. He just does these things over and over and over and over again. To follow him, this is, this is as simple as I can get it, and we're trying to make it. To follow Jesus 
is to practice these four practices. That's trying to get it as concrete as we can. I'm gonna start where Rob left off last week. Turning your Bibles to John chapter five, verse 19. Jesus is doubling down on his deity, his oneness with the Father, that he's fully God, fully man. And note what he says in chapter five, verse 19. He said, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Note he's speaking of a present and ongoing connection with his father. Whatever he sees, present tense, he sees, present tense, he does. He sees, he does. This is, this is the language of relationship, of, of knowing, I'll cite some verses in a moment, a vibrant intimacy. Here's the question I want, to think, want you to think about. When does he see the father? Because he's kind of talking to me right now. He's doing, when, when, does he, you know, when does he look wherever? When does he see? When does he hear from the father and then do what the father says? We're, we're gonna follow a few breadcrumbs to track that down. Flip over to chapter six, verse 15. People are, are, are there. They're wanting to make him a king. We wanna make you our king, you know, based on these signs. And that's not why he came to be an earthly king. Note what uh, John records, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Perhaps the most important word in that verse, again. So you go, oh, he must do this often. Indeed he does. As we read John and take the other gospels. Next question, what did he do up on that mountain? <laughs> what does Jesus do when he goes off by himself? <laughs> you know, what's, he, what's he doing? Well, don't turn there. Just look up at the screen. For time's sake, I'm gonna just show you Mark 135. The whole town's knocking at the door. Come out, Jesus, we want you. Do more signs. They're bounding down to get him. And know what Mark records. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. He talked to his father. He interacted with his father. He listened to his father. We use the word communed. So the first practice, I mean, what's, what is something Jesus did, okay? First thing, you'll see it on the screen, commune with God. You commune with God. What does it mean? It means to constantly cultivate an ever-deepening relationship with God. Commune's a relational word. It's at the root of communication. Of course, there's listening, there's responding, there's speaking. It implies a measure of understanding between two or who are communing. Uh, there's a sense of delight and joy. You know, you don't say, hey, I'm gonna go commune with nature, you know, to punish myself. No, because you delight and you enjoy that. Prayer is at the core. Yes, there's more around this, but there's nothing less than prayer at the center of it, that measure of communion. Not prayer as a moment, I prayed, no, but prayer is a way of life. I'm constantly communing with the Father. Throughout John's gospel, it's explicit, it's implicit. Take a look at the screen. We could find so many, but just note we'll hit these quickly. 829, he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. No, they're constant communication. 
55, but you have not known him. Speaking to the Pharisees, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. I just love the way Jesus talks. Don't you wish you could talk to people like that? And you were right, you're a liar. You know, and you weren't, you weren't shy about it. Well, he could, but he says, but I do know him. I'd be a liar if I said I didn't know him. 10, 15, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. Communion with God, yes, it's, it's, it's prayer. But you understand prayers, there's more than prayer. It's time in his word. It's a posture of dependence. It's, it's the sense that it, it requires, what are we talking about communion with God? What, what do you have to do to be a good friend, to deepen a relationship? It's all of that. It's all of that with his father, time with engagement, intimacy. It is what we call a quiet time, yes, but it's not just a time. You see, that's the point I'm making. It's like it starts perhaps with a time, a devotional life, yes, yes, spending time in God's word, but it's not just that moment. It's, it's that moment that then's just lived out all through your day between you and the Father. The first practice, commune with God, constantly cultivate an ever-deepening relationship with God. Let me just give you the second practice, okay? Straight up on the screen, hear and obey God's word. These are really, in sense, we want them to be self-explanatory, but we give us a brief definition, which this is almost redundant. Hear, yes, and then do all that God says. That's what that means, You'll note when I said that, like commune with God, hear and obey God's word, you'd go, Lord, you can't do one without the other. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, yes, yes. You can't do one without the other. You, you, you couldn't hear and obey God if you hadn't communed with God. See, they're all, they're interdependent. They belong together. Hearing, right? Hearing from God would be the prerequisite to then doing what God has said. And one doesn't hear from God apart from there, I, sh that's, I shouldn't make that blanket statement because God can speak to you whenever, but the type of growth and relationship we're talking about, that kind of hearing comes by spending time with God to hear God. And while God speaks in different ways, we hear from God in different ways. I'm gonna be careful how I say this. Listen, he never speaks in a way that is contrary to or that violates anything he's already said. So just to be clear on this, you can hear God and God can speak to you through nature. He can put in, the Holy Spirit impresses something on you, but it will not, it will never be in contradiction to this, that which he has fully revealed himself in his revealed word to us. What I'm saying is hearing, hearing from God is not confined to your quiet time. The time you're reading your Bible. But, Reading your Bible is what puts you in a position to then hear from God when you're not necessarily reading your Bible. Are you with me? It's like, that would be the precondition. I don't think I'm entirely wrong in saying this, that, that our challenge here in the room online, our challenge regarding this here in Obey God's Word is not so much in the hear as it is in the what? in the obey, in the doing. We are a people drowning in biblical knowledge. I think most all of us, it's just so available. And I use the drowning word on purpose because our knowing of God's word 
is killing us in this. It's, it's, it's killing us in the sense that there's no doing of God's word. And when, the, when there's a knowing and not the doing, that's toxic. It's, it's harmful. It's immature. You know, medical studies, and, and they, they, they're all different categories, but this is one that stood out to me. Uh, that if they found over time, multiple studies, if doctors tell seriously ill at-risk patients, cardiac patients, if you do not change these things, if you do not change your diet, your exercise, your lifestyle, you're gonna die. One out of seven change. Six don't, and I'm smiling, not because it's kind of a weird thing to smile about, but it's like, I get it. There's a whole, there's tons of literature on adherence that we don't do what the doctor tells us. And you, and you kind of look at that and go, look, death was not strong enough motivation to get six people to change, to do. I'm telling you, in our fallenness, our bent to submission, to authority and obedience, it's, it's, it's whacked out. I mean, apart from the spirit, we don't do it, we can't. Back in August, right, when we started this, and I said this two weeks ago, John's purpose in writing is that we would believe in the gospel, but listen, listen, listen. I said it, there is no biblical belief apart from biblical obedience. This just doesn't exist. Grant Osborne, New Testament scholar, writes this, and I think it's profound and it addresses this. He says, hearing in John is the preliminary step to believing and true hearing demands response. Here's the thing. In both Hebrew and Greek, the verb for hearing connotes obeying. So when you read the Psalm and the Psalmist says, cause I was reading my Psalms this week and it's like, I hear or hear this, hear this. And you go, where's the obey? It's in the hear, it's in the hearing. He says, we have not listened until we have responded. And everyone who has little kids goes, I see that every day, <laughs> you know, that's right. And, but we as adults live the same way. You hadn't heard until you've done it. Look at the verses on the screen. This is just chapter 14, one and 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me doesn't keep my word. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's very difficult to dodge that, isn't it? But let's keep it honest and real and biblical, okay, on, on this. Let's, keep, let's don't slide off into Pharisaic legalism. How many of you, I'm gonna respond to this. How many of you, including me, have trouble doing all that God says for me to do? Right, and if you, you, know, you, didn't, if you didn't raise your hand, John, you didn't hear me, obviously, because he's standing there, he didn't raise, John's sitting there with his hands in his lap. Trust me, John, you'd have to raise your hand. We'd all do. We all would though. That's the point. What, what, why did I have us do that? Because I want you to understand when I say, gosh, God says it, you gotta do it. Don't slip into legalism because here's the thing. Only one person did that perfectly, one. His name is Jesus and he did it on our behalf. And our right standing with our heavenly fathers, not based upon we do everything God says, we keep the law. Oh my gosh, that's legalism. No, our basis of our right standing with our heavenly father is the one who kept it perfectly and he did it on our behalf. And I believe he did it for me and what he did counts for me. That's salvation, that's faith. We do not keep any of these four practices perfectly. Why? Because we can't. 
but because we've trusted the one who has, he enables us to keep them not perfectly, listen, but progressively as we grow. You start off crawling, you, you, you barely walk, you fall, you run, you, it's progressive. First practice, commune with God. Second, hear and obey God's word. For the third practice, flip over to chapter 13, verse 35. Chapter 13, verse 35 in John. I'm just going to the litmus test, right? We can go other places. Here's the litmus test of a disciple. If you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, meaning I learn from Jesus and I follow Jesus. Jesus says, well, take this litmus test, verse 35. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Take the litmus test, is it or is it not? That's what he says. He's saying nothing less than this. Our witness to the world. So when you and I go and say to someone, hey, I, I follow Jesus. He's the savior of the world. He died on the cross for your sins. Would you put your trust in him? Our words have no validity, so to speak, if I don't love already. <laughs> I mean, he's staking the whole mission of the gospel on our love. Can you believe that? The third practice, we state it this way. It's on the screen, love each person. Again, self-explanatory, just love each person. Define, we say it this way, adding to that, seek the highest good of others. Which others? Each person each human being that is in front of you that God puts in your path. Let me say this, I've said it before and there's so much we'll unpack on these you know, through John and we'll go deeper in many ways, but I've said before, curiosity is almost indistinguishable from love. And I say that because when I say love each person, you cannot love this person in front of you, especially if they hold a different view than you especially if you're afraid and feel threatened by them or whatever it may be. You, you can't love them apart from a genuine curiosity for who they are and what's going on in their heart and what's their story. Because our curiosity deepens our compassion and there is no compassion apart from curiosity. Oh, we would do well as a community of faith to up our curiosity quotient Curious people become compassionate people. Parents, can I say to you as one who's a parent, our kids now, of course, our youngest is, is, is 21 and oldest 27, they're grown, one's married, but I'll always be a parent. I wish I'd engaged this sooner to be so curious about my kids, their life. Because man, when they, when mom and dad are curious, can I tell you what your kid feels when you're curious? That feels like love. And boy, it pays off dividends when we're so curious about our young kids and then they hit the teenage years, right? And you've invested your heart and cared about them in that way. You'll find in the teen years, at least for me, you know, I'm just, I'm going offline here, but you'll say less and you'll just keep listening more and they'll know they're loved. I want you to look at the screen just for a moment. Look up here at the screen with me. And, and I wanna do a little exercise with you related to this concept of love. This is a prayer that we learned when we studied Philippians. Um, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. 
I don't want you to start at the top. I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work through this passage backwards. Are you with me? So I'm gonna work not from the top, but from the bottom up. And I'm gonna show you what, how Paul views this. If Jesus says love matters, notice what Paul says. So start at the very bottom. To the glory and praise of God. Here we go. Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. Y'all, there's, this is the end, that you and I would live our lives to God's to praise and glory, to glorify God. Are you guys with me? So we start with the end in mind. But how does the whole thing begin? Let's just back up a step. So if that's the end, well, what, come, what, what leads to that? What produces that? Well, step up, step up a verse and note it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Oh, okay, okay. So I need to live my life such a way that it's filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Because if I live that way, then I will live to the praise and glory of God. Got it, got it, got it. Well, to live life filled with the fruit of righteousness, what precedes a life filled with fruit and righteousness? You just step back up in the verse so that you may be, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Oh, okay, so... So if I can live, if I will live in such a way that, that I approve what's excellent, discerning in my choices in my life, I'm pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Like, God, I got, because then that, that, that means I'm filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus, which means I'm glorifying God. So what comes before that? Where, what's the wellspring? I mean, where does the whole thing begin? Oh, go to verse one. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, that, that glory to God. He grounds our ultimate purpose in life to love. Should that shock us? No, because God is love. Commune with God, hear and obey God's word, love each person. I could go to some places, a number of places for the fourth practice, but I'm just gonna take you to John 12, 24, John 12, 24. I'm gonna have to unpack this just a bit, but you'll get it. Look at John 12, 24, Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, when we get there in months, you know, to chapter 12, we're gonna see that this statement is the beginning of the end. Well, what do you mean? I mean, when he says this, the bell tolls and the cross's shadow is just getting fuller and fuller. It's, it's, he's moving to the cross. He's sharp turn to the cross. And I say that to say, when we get there, we'll see when he speaks of this grain of wheat falls into the ground, he's talking about himself. He's the grain of wheat that dies, falls into the ground. And we'll unpack all of that, of course, when we get there. But one thing to see, Jesus's singular death becomes life for him and countless Others, in other words, say that Jesus, by his death, multiplied life beyond our comprehension. One, you know, it's an agrarian illustration. His audience would have been super keen on it. And I, I don't think this is difficult for us, even though we're non-agrarian, but one kernel, one little wheat kernel 
drops into the ground. And you think about it, it's death. Absorbs water, the, sh the shell falls apart. It becomes nothing that it was. It's gone, but then it grows one kernel up, 50 kernels on a stem of wheat. 50 kernels, dead, death, give their life up, so to speak. This 50 sprout and up comes 2,500 2,500 grains right now on these stalks. When the 2,500 grains drop into the ground, germinate and grow, you get this, 125,000 kernels. Are you with me? Like we're at the third iteration from the one kernel and now there's 125,000, 125,000 drop into the ground and up pops 6,250,000 kernels. Like what? You know, and all of us, you know, you, you learn in school, that's called an exponential curve. That's like, what? right? It's multiplication. It's why you and I are here today as believers in Christ because others died <laughs> that you and I would live and that message continued this fourth practice I've said it a few times, multiply your life. It's what Jesus did. What do you mean by that, Lloyd? I mean, living that others may know and follow Jesus. That's it. And I use this illustration because at its core, it means dying to yourself. To live for others. And there's more to this. You know, Jesus commissions us to go and make disciples. I was on a trip two weeks ago with some dear friends and one of them is in his early 80s. These guys have all been walking with Christ for a while. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm honestly fishing for material for a sermon with this sermon in particular. And so we're in the car and I said, hey you guys, let me ask you a question. You know, if, you, if, if you could just distill it down to four things Jesus did, you know, he, and he, he, he practiced these things. What would the four things be that then allowed him to fulfill his mission? And first person to speak is Joe, 81 years old. And I'm, of course, I'm writing all this down on my phone, you know? And, and uh, he said, Lloyd, Jesus invested in and prepared his disciples to carry on his mission when he was gone. End quote, got it. <laughs> type that in my notes. Jesus multiplied his life. He lived in such a way that he trained others. He, they came to him, he trained them, and, and then they trained others. And they had to die to themselves to do that, of course. So all four, you see them on the screen, commune with God, hear and obey God's word, hear and do all it got, hear and obey God's word, love each person, multiply your life. Now I want you to look up at those. Is there more? Oh, there's some stuff around that, but it's never less than these four. And if you look up there and, and you may say, um, I don't know how to do that. You know, I, I don't get that. I've got a word for you. Welcome, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church because what we are about is helping each one of us live those four practices till the day you die or Jesus returns. I mean that. I'm, I'm very serious when I say that. That's what we wanna, that's what we're gonna help each other do. <laughs> Y'all, this is, this is the basis that fulfills our mission that we talked about earlier. 
<clears throat> put your notes aside for a moment. You don't need to write anything down here on out. Rob and I, you know, I'm speaking for him because he and I talk about this. You know, when we teach, you know, it's easy to put he or I on a pedestal, so to speak, even visually, like I'm standing up here, I'm above you. Um, you we try and say to you, you know, I'm just a guy, I'm a dad. Rob's, Rob's just a dad, a man. And we're, we're just, you know what I'm trying to do with my life? I'm trying to do that. And I don't do it very well. And I have thoughts that I could never say out loud and motives that are wrong. And we're just human, but, but we're following Jesus with you. There's nothing special about us. And so when we teach, there's times where as best we can, we wanna give you illustrations or how do you apply this in ways, y'all, that are so gettable, you know, that I hope you go, well, I can do that. Oh, that's what that looks like or means. And I ran this by some folks before I, I, I decided I would do it because I thought, I don't, you know, I gotta be careful how I do this. But I'm gonna, I am going to do something in a moment. It's gonna make some of you feel a little weird maybe as I do it. So I'm gonna prepare you for it. Um, by the way, when I was studying, I, I can't go through all four and show you what all four are in my life per se, but I can take a part of one. Um, I, before I taught this at Brentwood, I, I just said, I'm just gonna read through John and I'm gonna make, I, I made a sheet. I made a, a list with four columns. And on each column, I, I, I put, you know, commune with God, hear and obey God's word, love each person, multiply your life. Oh, I'm just sitting on my computer. I just throw this thing up there. And then I just start reading John. And every time I see a passage that relates to commune with God, I just write it down. Every time I see a passage that relates to, oh, that, that, he's hearing and obeying God's word. I write that. When I see a passage that says love each, oh, he's loving each. When I see a person that, that passage that says multiply your life, I just wrote it down. Now, this is totally unscientific but I think it speaks to why I wanna address what I'm gonna address in a moment. Of the multiply your life, I hit on six verses. I know there's more, but I hit on six. On love each person, um, as I went through, I went hit and hit on uh, 17. I had 17 verses that were like, oh, love, he love, he's love, love. I went through hear and obey God's word and, and I landed on 19 times. But then when I, as I looked at it, you know, the first one was communion with God. I got, I got 36 times that it's implied or explicit. And, and I don't think that's accidental. I, I mean, I think that's because there's, they all matter, but there's no others if there's not this one, commune with God. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna I literally am gonna commune with God in a moment. You're just, you're gonna be a spectator. You're gonna be a fly on the wall. But I hope you're listening to the spirit for your own life. I, I started something like this. And I, I started something like this 35 years ago and it began... I was um, Little Rock, Arkansas, and, you know, trying to have a quiet time in the morning, up in the morning, and I'd fall asleep. I mean, I can't, I'd be so tired, you know, sleepy, praying, and just nod off, my head drop, whatever. So I just, I started walking. Nothing special about that, but I thought, well, at least I'll stay awake while I walk. And so I would begin that, and I've, I've done that over, over these years. And then I, I began to build, and I, I've never called it this until I decided I'm gonna show you this. But I built kind of my own, uh, morning liturgy, if you'd call it that. It's piecemealed from here and there, and I've added things. I read something by John Stott about John Stott and some things he did, and I went, you know, I think I'm on the right track in this. I'm gonna do this. And, uh, and so what I'm gonna do, it's gonna take me about eight minutes as I do this, and you'll just, just sit and listen, is I'm gonna give you how I, kind of, how I begin my day. And I, I really do begin my days this way. It, it, um, 
and you're gonna sit, you just, just, just sit and listen in it. Don't, I don't do it, and this is why all this qualification. I'm not doing this to hold me up and say, look what I do and do this. No, but, but if it helps you just go, okay, this is one way um, to commune with God, and this is not all I do. I'll stop and explain that. I'm gonna sing to myself in a minute, so don't freak out on that, right? So I can could, I could imagine if I didn't say that, some of y'all go, what? Oh my gosh, you can't sing. But um, I do it because it, it, it's, it's, it's a part of my, my routine. So I get up early, I like the morning. And when I do this, I'm generally doing it in my car or as I'm walking outside. There's something about outside for me that's important. So, so my alarm goes off early and... Um, I either say this out loud, whisper it, of course, or I literally think it in my head, okay? Alarm goes off, boom. Before my, and that's always in my head, before my feet touch the ground. God, thank you for this day to be loved by you. May I keep in step with your spirit. Feet down, go to the bathroom, do the, you know, get ready, get da, 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 da. And then generally, but when I'm leaving my neighborhood, I'm driving east and coming in the office, a lot of it's driving east, so to speak, but either out of my neighborhood or in my car, or I may get to the office and walk, but then this is how um, my own liturgy goes. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. O God, from the rising of that sun to its setting, may my lips praise your name. May I speak of your arm, mighty to save, and your wing, a refuge, a tried and trustworthy help in time of need. You, O oh God, created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You spoke the world into being by the power of your word, all things visible and invisible, animate and inanimate, nothing is that you did not make and you are not over. In you, Lord Jesus, all things hold together. And when the kings and rulers of this world came against your anointed, they did only that which you predetermined to occur and they could do no other for you alone reign and rule your creation and your creatures for your purposes and your plans. It is by your steadfast love and covenant faithfulness, by your works of providence, that this planet orbits that sun and spins on its axis at just the right angle for life. You cause the sun to rise in the east and to set in the West. And right now where I live, every day that sun takes a higher and higher track because you, oh God, change the seasons and you're moving the season from winter towards spring. You turn the storm 
to the north, south, east, and west to accomplish what concerns you. You turn the hearts of kings like streams of water. Who is like you, O God? There is none like you. May I rest more fully today in your steadfast love and covenant faithfulness to me, my family, my friends, my foes, my church, my community, my country, and this world. Holy Spirit, fill me today over and over and over again that the choices I make and the counsel I give would reflect your will and your way and your heart, Lord Jesus. May my love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that I would so that I would approve that which is excellent. So be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to your glory and praise. Teach me your way that I would walk in it. Give me an undivided heart that I would fear your name. Now, from that, may I say, like, I go into prayer, I do a time of prayer. The next things out of my mouth are, I pray for Lisa, Darden and Jordan, Susan and Sally. That's where, where I go. And then I have other things I pray. And yes, I, I have a quiet time and other things. So, but there's a, I, and I do that to, to go, everybody needs to have a morning liturgy. Well, no, maybe you don't. But may I say, don't discount the structure you may need just to get your day going. That could serve you. That could serve your communion with the Father. And see, so, so that's kind of where I, I begin. And when my head hits the pillow at night, my prayer is that all, you know, am I perfect at this? No, but all day long, my prayer is that, yes, the Spirit is filling me all day long. And I'm aware and I'm, I'm communing with the Father. And when my head hits the pillow at night, this is another one of those thoughts in my head I get ready, you know, I read a book, whatever, I'm sleepy, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. The last thing I say is, God, wake me mindful of your grace. That's my last thought. And then I'm off to dreamland. All four matter. The three have to come out of the first. Does that make sense? That's why... I want to encourage us in this. Let's stand together. Y'all, we're going to be unpacking these four things for the next 10 years, at least. So I just want us to respond to these things this morning with this reminder and let you, let you respond. We don't do these four practices and we don't, don't get hung up on the four practices. Make sure the four practices are pointing you to the reason. That's Jesus. We don't do these four practices to be on Time Magazine or be, you know, to get accolades at all. 
we walk this way because this is what Jesus did. And yes, we do what Jesus did. It's what it means to follow him. And when we do, here's what happens. Paul says that we're changed from glory to glory. But in our changing, we shine the light on Jesus and show the whole world it's all about him. We sang earlier, hallelujah. We're gonna sing now about alleluia, i.e. praise the Lord. And yes, the song will sing, it, it moves fine. We say, you know, a thousand alleluias. Yes, we know this though, he's worthy of countless alleluias. That's what the four practices are about. Praise you, Jesus. You be exalted, your glory be made manifest. We'll be doing it in ways that never end in eternity. So for those of us living these four practices, let us now, right, let's sing our alleluia. And let's keep singing it such that when that day arrives, we don't start. No, we're singing it our whole life.